welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can people have positive paranormal experiences as well as negative ones? Can dreams be actual experiences of your life in parallel worlds? Why are there fewer alien abduction cases being reported lately? Hello and welcome to the 632nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those wide-ranging questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this afternoon, we bring you an open-line show to uh, vainly try and catch up with our mile-high stack of emails uh, that have been sent in by listeners, as well as listener questions from Facebook and all sorts of other places. As always, your calls are welcome here. The numbers are 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the uh, U.S. or Canada, and 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor emails, paul, at behindtheparanormal.com for emails. So let us proceed into the realm of the giant question mark. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is from Eric in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Oh, yes, heading up north really quick. Okay, he starts off. Uh, Paul, I would like to report on the positive experiences with the paranormal. For example, when I was studying for a master's degree in uh, political science, I had trouble sleeping because I was working full-time and studying part-time. Uh, this, one, this one night, I went to sleep and had a very good uh, night's sleep. When I awoke, I saw a spirit standing beside me and uh, was giving me a healing to the front portion of my head. The spirit appeared to be male and looked uh, rather pasty. Uh, looked like a rather pasty white color. I had two cats at the time, and one cat chased the spirit, and the other one was scared of, of the spirit and hid under the bed. The spirit vanished, and as I uh, woke up, I felt very alert after getting a good night's rest. Uh, and this was during the 1990s. Ten years later, the year 2000, uh, I had a uh, I had gallbladder attacks. Uh, these were rather intense at the time, so I was feeling rather pessimistic. Both both my cats had passed away due to old age. One of my cats I felt uh, unusually close to, and I could feel the pressure of my cat's spirit on, uh, sleeping on me. I felt very comfortable by the, or very comforted, comforted by the presence, I should say. Uh, then I had an unusual dream about my cat changing into a green dragon and flying away. I had wanted to move from Winnipeg, uh, where I lived, to Ontario or uh, Ottawa, I should say. Uh, I was able to do this two years later, and I did not uh, see that cat's spirit again. I thought there were, uh, I thought there was an unusual uh, rapport between me and the cat. I felt very grateful for the relationship I had with the cat. Since 1976, I had the sen this sense of pressure around my head. Its location would be on both sides of my head, and it can uh, be best described as a fe as feeling like a band. Now, sometimes I do see spirits, and they can be described as white, like Casper the Ghost. It's a weird comparison. I would interpret the spirit as the uh, way it appears. Uh, is as there? Uh, I can let me reread that. Blah. I would interpret the spirit uh, as the way it appears. Its message is given, or whatever. You get what I mean, right? Well, it's not me. It's the listeners. But I think we have plenty of material. Right. Here. Yes. Yeah. So moving on. Good influences uh, is his question. Okay. Well, thank you, Eric. It's very, <clears throat> excuse me, extremely interesting. Now, uh, several things stand out for me, at least right away, Ben, and that is that we um, keep referring to the head or healings of the head or anything having to do with the head. One thinks of temporal lobe epilepsy, okay, as, as one possible explanation that someone might suggest for experiences such as this. Uh, temporal lobe epilepsy has been suspected in everything from uh, apparitions of the Virgin Mary all the way down to 
everyday garden variety ghost experiences. Okay, and the temporal lobe, of course, is part of the brain, and there can be epilepsy. Does not mean you necessarily have seizures, but uh, there is some debate about what it actually means. People like ourselves might say, "Well, maybe it opens doors." Uh, to your perception of worlds that are actually there. Uh, more conventional people would say perhaps that um, it creates the illusion of worlds that aren't there, okay, uh, including quote-unquote spirits and experiences such as Eric has described. Now, to the best of my knowledge, epilepsy in and of itself, like the like the at, at its core, is basically just a miscommunication between the two sides of the brain, right? Am I Effectively... Right, so because I, yeah. I remember, I remember vaguely from psychology courses long ago that there it mostly stemmed from like the core of the brain not being able to communicate between the left and the right side. So there would like uh, I remember seeing I remember I watched this documentary in one of these classes where they tried this experiment where they severed the two sides of the brain, yes. and that would stop seizures. But it created all sorts of weird phenomena, like you could, like you, like you could do something with your left side of your body or your right side, and like you wouldn't really know what you were doing. It was something crazy yeah. like that. Well, but, yeah. as in all things human, all human endeavors, from politics all the way down to medicine, there are unintended consequences that people somehow don't think of. Right. However, that being said. Uh, Assuming that this was perhaps a quote-unquote legitimate experience, whatever that may mean, and that was it wasn't just created out of, of Eric's uh, uh, brain or whatever, uh, the, the, another term stands out, and you'll know what that is because we talk about this all the time, the term spirits. You know, we assume that anything we see, especially if it's whitish or gauzy or cloudy, is a spirit. That is an assumption based on our lack of knowledge, I, I think, about how reality is constructed, how the creation is constructed. And uh, our, our point would be that these are not necessarily disembodied survivals of human beings, but real physical worlds that we see as whitish or cloudy because that's the, the electromagnetic boundaries between the worlds, as are theorized in some areas of quantum mechanics. Yeah, electrified air molecules. Are so electrified be, yeah. plasma, Yeah, plasma. Uh, when we take photographs, in a lot of cases, we'll, we'll see these things, uh, or these barriers, or whatever, if that's what they are. Uh, a physicist might, might refer to them as brains, B-R-A-N-E-S, or membranes between parallel worlds, okay? Now, that's a little simplistic, but that's essentially what we believe we see when we're working with the paranormal. So what Eric might actually have been seeing was perhaps himself in a very aware parallel world healing him. That That's entirely possible from this point of view. Uh, you can be your own guardian angel, as it were. But there are reasons for our folklore uh, with all due respect to it, folklore doesn't necessarily mean something isn't true. It just means it's got an interpretation on it that might might not be right down to the wire as far as what's actually happening. But uh, the, uh, there, the idea of guardians or guardian angels is present in just about every culture. There are different names, there are different interpretations, but the concept is there. And what it may very well be are parallel world entities or people or your versions of yourself who are actually interacting with you because these worlds are not closed off. They're not isolated from one another. It's an open system. Energy and sometimes even inhabitants are exchanged. The laws of physics are different in each one, probably. At least that, that's been theorized. 
And as a result, you have worlds in which um, we're carrying on this show um, in every way that we are here and now, but we're very aware of parallel worlds around us where other versions of ourselves are carrying on the show because it's all us. Uh, That is as real as it gets, I think. That's what I've seen in the paranormal. So, I mean, what else would you say to Eric? I mean, the the actual cat, the, the, the spirit of the cat is probably the actual cat experience of a parallel world, especially in the sleep state or between sleeping and waking. That's what Yeah, I was just going to say, like uh, uh, sleep paralysis or something definitely sounds like well, it's involved be, in well, this. It could be. It could be anything. could you know? be, yeah. Because we don't know Eric and we don't That's know true. the situation. However, um, animal, it brings up the idea of animal ghosts, quote unquote. We hear about that all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that there are there are impingements, areas where parallel worlds intersect. That is the whole point of the paranormal, I think. And you will see a pet that ha- that is quote unquote deceased, although death, in any meaningful sense of the word, cannot exist in any real way in the kind of universe, we're, multiverse, as, as it were, that we're describing. Because you are always you are the cat or whoever is or, or, or the whatever is always alive. Perfectly physically, somewhere, somewhen, in this simultaneously existing, elegant, uh, endless multiverse of parallel existing worlds and possibilities. It's funny, funny concept, but that—that's what we I started to see in the paranormal since 1979. So that's how I would answer. Eric, uh, I'm interested. I hope he's doing okay. I mean, he's uh, gallbladder attacks and everything else. He's, maybe he's not a spring chicken, you know, like me. Uh, however, uh, I think that um, there is a lot of positive stuff having to do with the paranormal here. And, and to expand on what Eric says, uh, we've done whole shows on uh, the good side of the paranormal, uh, love, paranormal love and beauty particularly. And mm. in our upcoming book, uh, Behind the Paranormal, um, Everything You Know is Wrong, that's the subtitle. Uh, we have a whole chapter on paranormal love and beauty and good things that have happened. And, and you are aware of that because you're the co-author. I know. Yes. <laughs> so uh, there we are. So everybody go buy the book so Ben can uh, have a nice, um, uh, good start to his marriage there. Because unfortunately, the book's not coming out to the end of this year and you're getting married next month. Yep. Yeah, very and good. Anyway, so, okay, Eric, I hope that answered um, your question. And... Um, there we are. The, the unusual dream, though, about the cat changing into a green dragon and flying away. I think we, that's the only thing we can cover. I mean, your dreams. Sometimes a dream is just a dream. Sometimes a dream is just a dream. Sometimes not. But um, I wouldn't particularly worry about the cat. I, we, we've had cats that remind us of green, dragons, green or otherwise. But <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think that's uh, pretty much all we can say about that. And right, here is this one is from Terry. Do not know where Terry is from. But uh, talking about parallel universes. Alrighty, Terry writes to us. I recently listened to a show where you were discussing your theory of parallel universes and the uh, fact that many other uh, universe universal entities or people see us as we see them. On this note, I wanted to pass along at least one experience I have had to interject or, or interject some information, or maybe inject some information, and my experience to possibly build up on this theory. Uh, I recently had a dream where I was aware of going into another dimension and being aware that I was uh, connecting with a person in which he could not see me, uh, but he was aware of my presence. I could seemingly move objects around him uh, to his surprise and mine. It was a revelation that led me 
to the same conclusion as yours, I believe. I should mention that I'm a lucid dreamer and have been diagnosed with excessive uh, REM sleep uh, of approximately 36.5% a night. Whoa, that's impressive. Mm. Normal is around 20%. Uh, I have also had uh, many other experiences uh, while sleeping and uh, and have also had a unique and unusual contact with an alien. I say alien to simply categorize, although I hesitate to commit to this uh, description as I feel it may be uh, much more complicated than how uh, mo- uh, people theorize it, or how most people theorize it. In any case, I am a lifelong parapsychology- parapsychological student and thought this may be helpful to your research in some way. Thanks for your work and willingness to use both the spiritual and geophysical energy sides of the argument. Well, thank you, Terry. That's very articulate, and uh, we appreciate uh, the, the kind words. Uh, this is extremely interesting, actually. Uh, I think that um, the notion that... Uh, w- well, first of all, let, let's explain a couple of things. REM sleep. Yep. REM is, is an acronym for Rapid Eye Movement, and it is the deepest form of sleep that people have, and that's when you dream. Yep. Okay. And uh, when usually the dreams you remember occur just before you wake up, and that's generally why you remember them. Although it depends if you have a broken sleep schedule, as I had have done, no, not so much anymore, but for many years when I worked with Providence Journal uh, as an editor, you, you, I would have uh, get home one or two in the morning because it's a morning paper. You put the morning paper out uh, the night before. And uh, I would get up with um, my little cherubs, uh, you and your older brother, Ben, take you to the school bus in the morning because mom had a nine-to-five job and uh, couldn't have any flexibility in the schedule. And I would make up for the sleep by uh, sleeping in the afternoon sometimes. And it's a habit I had much of the annoyance of your poor mother for many, many years, <laughs> even after I left the province journal. So um, as a result, I was able to have many, many interesting memories of dreams more than I think I would have if I just had that one block of sleep at night. Um, so I can see what uh, Terry is saying here. The uh, what, what other term in here should be? Uh, yeah, lucid dreams. L- lu- lucid dreams, and uh, Terry refers to herself as a lucid dreamer. Lucid dreams means it's a dream in which you realize that you're dreaming. And sometimes you can influence the environment in the dream, sometimes to a great degree. There are people who report they can, uh, and I've done this, you know, if you know, you realize you're dreaming, you can sometimes, you know, fly or manipulate material objects, all these sorts of things. Uh, but the idea of, um, of uh, enc- encountering someone uh, in this way uh, in another Dimension, uh, actually, strictly speaking, from physics, dimension and alternate world are not the same thing. However, for our purposes, I think people use it to refer to parallel worlds. Uh, you're, you're in connecting with a person who was there who did not quite seem to see you. Now, th- that reminds me, Ben, of the, the uh, 1979 case in York, Maine, where the so-called ghost was actually a student 120 miles away at the University of Connecticut. We've talked about this case many times. The people in the house were seeing her in transparent form. Uh, she didn't really quite see them, or she would look th- through them or past them. Uh, those, those were her own recollections of being on the other side of that equation. Uh, and when they met, finally, uh, just by what seemed to be chance on the porch of that house in Maine, one day when the, when the girl was... Uh, traveling up there for the weekend with some friends, uh, all phenomena ceased immediately. 
a physicist might say that the wave function was collapsed, the two worlds were joined, and no more phenomena. But I'm wondering the connection between uh, REM sleep and this, the, the, the sort of, I don't know, I'm trying, I'm trying to think about how to, how to phrase it. What I the, wish I had known this back in the, in the 70s when I was very good friends with Dr. Montague Ullman of the Maimonides uh, Dream Laboratory, Maimonides Hospital uh, complex there in New Jersey. He was, uh, at the time, the president of the American Society for Psychical Research. Yeah. And uh, they were researching this sort of thing at the time because it was, many, it was a million years ago. So, so I mean, what, what did you learn about it? Uh, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing, whatever. Nothing. Well, you know, you know how, how modern psychology is. They, they, uh, they don't want to seem too crazy. Well, it's an inexact science. Exactly. It's a pseudoscience. That's all it is. Well, th- that, that's what a mainstream scientist would say, yeah. Well, I remember that in, in speaking of parapsychology, uh, which uh, our previous uh, le- writer had had mentioned. Uh, oh no, actually, it's Terry. Parapsychology, st- yeah. Uh, parapsychology is 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 the poor stepchild of psychology, which itself is not respected even in all areas. And there, I remember uh, I worked uh, briefly with Dr. Loriza Ryan, whose husband uh, Joseph B. Ryan. She the, the two of them were really, really the founders of modern parapsychology. Uh, at the Duke University Parapsychology Laboratory, which is now the Rhine Center in North Carolina. And they um, w- would stre- strain and sweat to try to make parapsychological principles fit modern scientific principles. And it's not going to happen. Because I, from early on, I thought, no, again, I didn't tell them this, but I didn't really know it. I was in high school at the time. You know, it seems as though... These things that we talk about on on this show and the the paranormal are perhaps outside of science. Now, people might say, well, that's a cop-out, as we used to say in the 60s. But our friend uh, Mark D'Antonio, who was a a real scientist and who was co-hosted our show and is a good friend of ours, uh, would say perhaps we're dealing with undiscovered science something we just don't know about yet. Um, and he is probably the most feet-on-the-ground person I know. Yeah, anyway. I agree with that. So all these things are possible. But I, I think just my personal opinion is that Terry has experienced legitimate parallel world experiences, perhaps through dreams. I mean, I think we, we have ourselves uh, in dreams, outside of dreams here and there. Maybe we're bonkers, but I don't think so, because there's physical evidence. And uh, I, I just think that um, it's quite interesting that she reports what she does, and I think it's very common mm. because people all over the place uh, don't talk about this stuff until they hear what we have to say, and we often will hear from people who say, "Well, th- this is—I think you're right about these parallel worlds because th- this is what happened to me." Uh, the question about aliens is another thing. Uh, when we hear the word alien, we think—actually, strictly speaking—it means something pretty much entirely different. Yeah. You know, uh, however, most people associate it with a, a denizen of some other planet you know, visiting Earth and some nuts and bolts. Little green crap. men. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All that and th- that's possible. Anything is possible. Yeah. And, and, and if our interpretation of the multiverse is correct, everything does exist out there because that's the nature of, of the, the quantum nature of the universe. So every possibility exists or else you wouldn't be able to think of it. Mm-hmm. So the alien thing is another question. Uh, you could say that if we were to visit not only another planet, but if we were to visit a parallel reality and be seen as she describes uh, the, her cohort and the other reality, seeing her, uh, not not being entirely aware, uh, and if this this other uh, the, this counterpart was a, a, a non-human, 
of a species that doesn't exist on Earth, uh, we would be the aliens. You know, whether we arrive in, in my truck or in your spaceship, Ben, you know. Yeah. So there we are. I don't know. So all these things are possible. But again, I think the entire experience lends credence perhaps to the idea that uh, we're dea- we're, we may be on the right track as far as some of these theories are concerned anyway. Okay, well, thank Works you. Sure interesting. Okay, well, let's uh, go over to Facebook here for a moment. We have Laura from Indiana. Alrighty, so Laura writes to us, What do you think about the owners of the Sally House selling it for profit? Have you ever investigated this location? Well, no, I haven't. Uh, this is the Sally, S-A-L-L-I-E house, uh, which I believe was named after the alleged uh, ghost, the person who supposedly haunts the place. Uh, I actually then, don't, I don't know the, the story. I don't even know what the house yeah, well, is. Well, it's, it's uh, Atchison County, Kansas, and there has been so much, I, I must say, hype over this. It makes the uh, the house from The Conjuring, that's supposedly right near us here in our broadcast studio, uh, look like our house. It's you know, as, in reference to peaceful, because <laughs> uh, our house, despite all the stuff we're into, is the most peaceful place in the world. Chaotic from the human point of view, because everybody's coming and going all the time. It's yeah. busy, but it's a very peaceful and happy house, I think. Uh, however, the Sally House has been the subject of so much uh, quote ghost hunting and all this stuff nonsense in most cases, in my opinion. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, if the owners are selling it for profit, I mean. Good Lord, wh- whatever shall we do? I mean, I don't know anybody who sells a house without hoping for some sort of profit or at least break even. I mean, I think that's fair enough. I don't think it's a problem. But uh, but and we have not investigated uh, that that case. Um, so, sometimes, yeah. and I think Ben would agree, what do you think? I mean, sometimes cases are so muddied by the hands of others, most of whom don't know what they're doing, that it's not worth going it. Can't really salvage it either. If yeah, it's unless people are in danger. Yeah. Uh, our good friend Shane Searway, who has co-hosted the show, and and is a uh, probably the most one of the most respected paranormal investigators, certainly in New England, and should be in in the world, in my opinion. Uh, one of the few with whom we will work is um, is always saying that uh, he has had to go in. I know this is true. There are some famous people who have gone in and made a, a dog's lunch out of a bunch of cases and he has had to go in and straighten it out and he has something yeah. like a hundred percent success rate particularly when dealing with with the negativity parasites things of this kind so i think uh the sally house case in my opinion unless someone can convince us otherwise and we we have never been asked to investigate it just is not worth it that kind of thing. no no not at all plus yeah. not, not like we can fly out to kansas anytime we want no no we, we don't make a living at this i don't trust anyone who does uh so, uh, but we do what we can. All right. So, well, I guess uh, it's about time to take a break because our next yeah, question is so. is okay. very very long. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON twelve forty in New England's chilly but beautiful Blackstone River Valley, where snow is predicted. And we'll be right back with our open line show. Everything you know is wrong. Hi, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. Check out our show, Behind the Paranormal, with Paul and Ben Eno, here on ON 1240, on Sundays on our new slot at 12 noon. The paranormal is not what you think it is. We're going to examine it from a whole new perspective, and you will be very surprised. Do not check your brain at the door. You're going to need to be there. ON Radio! ON Worldwide! 
All right, and welcome back. We do uh, point you toward the show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, and also our main website, NewEnglandGhosts.com, where we have references and links to a number of charities Ben and I have adopted on the show, and also you can see our events as well. We'll, we'll talk about that toward the, the end in our announcements. Okay, Ben, you want to... Uh, Let's take continue. the next one. This is a little bit long, but it's it's illustrative. I'm of mentally some of the prepared. We talked about it. It's the one I'm thinking of. That's well. I mean, another thing about cats. But we'll 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 get into the story. So this is a question from Rob. Question slash comment from Rob in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut, and he writes to us uh, listening listening to the show on three uh, six two thousand and six. That's March sixth. 2016, I should say. Uh, you were talking about reflections of uh, ghosts and photographs. Was I there for that? I don't remember this. Uh, uh, Shane. Shane was there. It was sitting in for you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, a few years ago, I saw a ghost cat at the haunted Cape Cottage. Uh, here is the background. My wife's friend from college has a family cottage uh, that is a little over 100 years old. Uh, that's young. Uh, we, New England, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, we have been invited there as guests or have uh, rented out for the last 14 years, uh, uh, once or twice a year. Uh, it is across the street from a saltwater bay and is a half mile from the beach. Over the years, I have heard the stories uh, that my wife's friend's grandmother uh, haunts the cottage. People who have stayed in her old bedroom would hear what sounded like an old woman huffing in annoyance, as if someone didn't want them in the room. Uh, the best story I, I hear, uh, which... Happens in, on happened in two different couples uh, that were staying at the cottage alone at different times uh, was when they happened to get uh, busy in bed in the, the grandma's room the fan would turn on and off repeatedly now one of the husbands was in electrical engineering and could not figure out why that was happening one time while renting the cottage uh, with a few other couples one of the uh, couple's daughters and a friend were sleeping on the pull-out couch in the living room, and were woken up by the lights in the room turning on and off. Uh, this was this is the place uh, where I saw the ghost cat in that living room. I walked into the room while it was dark to get something. Uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me. While turning around, I saw a flash of an image of a black and white cat. It was almost like it was a reflection on my glasses. I actually slept fine, but half the people sleeping in uh, there that night were woken to the sounds of screaming and scraping or scampering and purring cat. Uh, my wife actually heard it, and she usually never hears or sees anything supernatural. Well, I think we should have uh, renamed this particular show the Me Hour. This is a uh, cat's uh, galore here, and uh, well, I was uh, thinking actually that uh, there are a couple of points that uh, uh, Rob brings up. One, of course, is the notion of uh, what is a haunting. Okay, in other words, you see a cat or a Godzilla or a, you know, whatever, or a, usually another person. Uh, as we've um, said earlier in the show and on many other shows, I think this is not seeing the spirits of anything. I think you're seeing uh, across a world boundary, which is probably essentially plasma, into a parallel reality where the person or the creature never died. And naturally, you're sharing the same space in many of these worlds. That's probably why. I think it's as simple as that, if you can call that simple. So, hence the cat sort of thing. I mean, either that, or you have to be prepared, if the old spiritualist 19th century idea is correct, and it could be, you have to be prepared to defend the idea that you can be everything 
you are. All memories, all imagination, all personality, all everything, without your body. And I think that that doesn't make sense. Now, there may be uh, some parallel realities where the laws of physics are such that you can be incorporeal and where matter may have an entirely different form and where you could be pure energy, but I don't think there are a lot of those worlds that are near ours because, at least in my opinion, the world family in which we proceed through our lives and that gives us the illusion of time going from past to future uh, is is neighbor to worlds that are most like itself. It's like um, when you are in on the equator, okay, you don't um, walk two miles and find yourself in uh, the, the, the Arctic or, or the, the conditions of, of glaciers in Greenland. Yeah, you'll have mountains with snow on top even on the equator. However, my point being that things are most like where you are, the nearest to the, in the nearest des- destination to which you proceed. Like is attracted to like. Well, yeah, that's one thing, but like is like, like, so to speak. I'm, I'm using geographical metaphors here, but, right. but uh, in any case, that that's what, what I'm saying. So in other words, I think the worlds in which there would be what we might use to qualify spirits uh, are very rare, at least near us. So that's why it's one of them, that's another reason I don't think that when you see a gro- ghost quote unquote ghost a ghost, ghost. ghost <laughs> well that's how you'd say it in certain countries uh, quote unquote you w- you wouldn't see you're not seeing uh, the spirit of someone who's died you're seeing the actual person in a parallel reality where they didn't die I think that's how it works I think the lights turning on and off and the fan stuff was very kind of, was kind of weird I don't, I don't very typical well it is typical yes I mean it could be like what, what is it the Hutchinson effect. Hutchison, well, that's that's more poltergeist. That's more poltergeist kind of stuff. More, more maybe I don't know. Well, what, what are we dealing with? Okay, what what are the nature of the B R A N E S, the brains between the membranes between worlds? <clears throat> They're essentially electromagnetic. See, uh, that's how everything's uh, brilliant together, held together. Uh, we often find, and I, I think back to the um, uh, the haunted school near Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, in nineteen what was it eighty something? It's in my it's in footsteps in the attic, my book. That where the school committee um, swore me to secrecy that I would never talk about it, or you know, for for years, or write about it. Uh, but that's you know thirty <laughs> years ago. They're just going to have to get over it. Uh, and, and, I, and I did not name the town. Because, as you know, having been a student, you too, our wonderful producer, Josh, and uh, even Ted out there, he was a young man once in school. Kids love urban legends. Yes, they love urban legends. And once you start the rumor of a a ghost in a school, it will grow, it will embellish, and it will get bigger and bigger. And it turns out it's the kid who died and was buried in the wall in the back of the court. You know, all that kind of nonsense. (laughs) And uh, so that's why we never said anything about this school. Uh, But the idea is that when you see these things, I think you're dealing with parallel realities, uh, not spirits, okay? So that, that's essentially what, what I think we're doing. Uh, so what else would you have to add here? Uh, I mean, pretty much it. Is, yeah, I mean, uh, lights going on and off. Yeah, it's fairly typical. Um, oh, yeah, my, my point about the school uh, was that I always, that, that the most quote-unquote haunted classrooms, and the most haunted classroom was right next to where the pipes went up and down inside uh. the wall. And the main co- electrical conduits. Yep. Uh, because electricity and water do what? They conduct 
electricity, electricity yeah. conduct electromagnetic energy. Yep. We're always hearing about, gee, the, well, I remember so many of the VCR or the DVD player turned on by itself or the faucet started by itself. Always electricity and water. Yeah. And I think that's the reason. It's we're dealing with electromagnetic fields that cross and intersect and it's going to have physical effects. Mm-hmm. I think that's that, that's essentially what that was. The cat again, once again, I think is, you know, a parallel reality, the grandma moaning and groaning. She's still there in many parallel worlds where she never left and has never died, and you are encountering those by your own awareness and by the electromagnetic um, nature of the area. Now, Cape Cod is very strange. It's very, quote, haunted because there's a lot of what? Water. Right. It's surrounded by water on three Well, it's sides. also extremely negative. They have the biggest heroin addiction in New England. Uh, that Yes, yeah, Cape that, Cod that, is not yeah. a happy place. No, no, not yeah. at all. <laughs> and every time I go there, something awful happens to me. I get caught in sandstorms and I have flat tires. and things. I mean, it is a terrible place. I love the... Well, well, don't look now, but uh, you know we had uh, mobs of our ancestors came from Cape Cod and Nantucket. Uh, maybe that's our why Yankee we're so ancestors. weird. Who knows? Yeah. Nickersons and the Krolls and all the Hoyts, all those great folks. Anyway, if any of you are listening, uh, happy spring. All right. <laughs> As we have 10 inches of snow heading towards right. us. Okay, so that... that that's this particular okay. Yeah, well, no, we're all set. All set with those. On uh, well, more. Uh, there's another one. No, I know. <laughs> okay, uh, now for something completely different. <laughs> this is from. Um, oh, this is very interesting. This is from our dear friend Kathy Marden, uh, very very well known UFO investigator, feet on the ground, uh, co-author with Stanton Friedman on a number of terrific books. Uh, she'll be on in a few weeks talking about alien versus demon, because. Um, Kathy Martin and myself and some of our, our associates have been talking in the past few years about cases that, that were supposedly alien abduction, but they, they start to have, quote-unquote, demonic overtones. People start having poltergeist activity in their houses and all sorts of things of this kind that seem to cross-pollinate between UFOs, abductions, and our area of the paranormal. And it's funny, we were asked to speak at more UFO conventions than we are at standard paranormal conventions. I mean, frankly, that I think the, the UFO crowd uh, generally, I think, is uh, intellectually and logically, I think, I find a little bit more... I don't think I've run into more, like, masters and, like, PhDs than I have at, like, UFO events. I, that's, uh, well, I've run into more PhDs at UFO conferences than I have at... Uh, any of the other paranormal things yeah. we are usually not invited to speak at because of our ideas and we're not good for business. That's true. For these people who make livings out of the 19th century spiritualist point of view. But I don't want to be cynical. So anyway, this is from uh, Kathy Marden. And uh, I, w- I would say um, I would start with that paragraph there. Uh, it's an interesting point and it will be a good um, promo for that that show. That will be April 17th. Already, uh, Kathy Before writes- you get married. Exactly. Kathy writes to us, uh, I have felt very perplexed by a number of abduction cases that I've worked on and also reported on since uh, we've received a uh, MUFON uh, that sound demonic or a combination of the presence uh, of MUFON a being the uh, mutual UFO, UFO network. network. Very, yes. very good organization. Uh, or a combination of the presence of a negative entity and alien abduction. The question has been raised by others, is this uh, one and the same? It is very perplexing. I've worked on two cases that seem to have a combination of the two and wonder if we can separate them. It is truly perplexing. 
Wow, she said perplexing a bunch of times. In well, this. it is perplexing. It is extremely perplexing. So four times. So today we, we uh, rarely receive reports of the physical type of abduction that Betty and Barney Hill, Travis Walton, uh, Charlie Hickson, etc., etc., uh, have experienced. People sometimes see greys or reptilians, smell the odors of rotten meat. Uh, they are being scratched or taunted. Uh, this is not the archetypal alien abduction, sometimes invoking the name of Christ or God and... Asking for the protection will stop the contact experience, and there is much more. I think that is absolutely oh. fascinating. Oh. I should say, I should mention that, that Kathy, who is a, uh, a retired educator, is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. Uh, that was the, in 1961. I believe that was the first major alien abduction case to receive a global media attention. Okay, they were from New Hampshire, and to this day, the Exeter UFO Festival, which we are kind of traditional speakers every year, uh, is um, partially dependent on the, the memory and the history in that area from that case and, and one or two others that are quite significant. Now, let me just say, sure. before we move on, we ran into, uh, or well, you did, years and years and years ago back in West Virginia when we went to that conference, that was uh, Bud Hopkins, right? Bud Hopkins. Bud yes. Hopkins. The, the late Bud Hopkins. Yes. yes. Greatest yes. expert on alien abduction of the time, I, I would think. And he showed you pictures of people's bodies and injuries and stuff that they received after abduction experiences. And then you compared pictures from poltergeist experiences and, par- and parasite experiences. And they were one and the same. Almost. Well, not entirely, but yes, to, to a large degree they were. Uh, it wasn't easy to get some time... By ourselves, but and you and you and your brother were over selling books. You were you were you were eleven. No, I was nine. Nine. No, you, I was younger than that because I didn't have, I didn't have glasses yet, so I was like eight or nine. What did they send you to Mount St. Charles for? They didn't uh, teach you math. Uh, I didn't have sure glasses did. I'm yet. I'm kidding. I love Mount St. Charles. <laughs> I didn't have glasses yet. I just know that because I remember smashing yeah. my head into okay, the side well, of the Okay, whatever. You, you anyway. were involved in the conversation. So Bud uh, said, uh, Psst, "Come here," you know that kind of thing. And uh, sat down, and, and he had this album, and uh, he was showing me uh, various scoop marks and things of that kind that are that are commonly associated with the physical experience of an alien abduction. In other words, people are uh, supposedly taken uh, out of their beds, usually uh, brought into uh, what are believed to be alien craft, and medical experiments were, are or were sometimes conducted on them, and they would have these physical marks on their bodies. Sometimes even implants that, that have been removed surgically and that um, somehow it managed to disappear, uh, probably into the hands of certain authorities, and you really can't blame them. Uh, so they're, they're all, these, all these things are real, and, and they're well-documented, although not generally talked about. Now, here's the counter-question that I okay. have. Does the perception of the experience change the experience? Or does the perception of the experience affect what label we put on it? Right. Yes, exactly. I think uh, I think you really hit that nail on the old head there, Ben. I think that uh, the um, well, as we often say, when you're in your living room and you see a wispy figure drift by, aha, it's a ghost. Uh, when you feel yourself taken out of bed and and you know physical things done to you, aha, it's an alien because ghosts are not physical, are they? We, actually, they are. But in the, in the common perception, they're not. It depends on what movies you've seen, what books you've read, perhaps. Right. Uh, if you see the same kind of wispy figure out in a field with uh, orbs of light around it, aha, maybe an alien. You know, these are all human perceptions that we put on things that are not human. 
But notice how quickly the change the change of the experience of the abduction has changed. That's right. No longer do you see see reports of people being lifted out of their beds. Well, sometimes you do. Occasionally, but, but not, it's not not as, as common as it was. No, it's changed. It's yeah. like, as we always say, the paranormal is constantly changing. So now maybe the perception of the experience maybe that wasn't it at all. Maybe. But that's how the human brain, you know, rationalized it. Because or, we have to take into a, we have to take something that happens to us and make it into something we can understand. Precisely. Because what's scarier than not understanding something? That's right. That, that we often have people come up to us. I I've been afraid of this all my life. Now you've explained it. I don't have to be afraid of it anymore. That's not necessarily the case. There are things to be afraid of. However, we we like to hear that. However, uh, let me play devil's advocate for a minute here, Ben. Suppose. Uh, that this uh, really is what it appears to be, at least in some cases. And you have uh, alien beings, w- whether they're from some other planet or some parallel reality or whether they're from the future or the past, what to us would be the future or the past. These are all theories that have been uh, run up the flagpole for people's uh, salute, and not always do they do so, that that uh, maybe the um, the agenda has changed, but that, but then the the question of okay, well, what's doing? Who or what is doing the abducting? I mean, the idea that there's only one species out there that's interested in us and doing this stuff is rather hard to defend. I think. Yeah. There's evidence of at least nine different species, and uh, you can take that as official uh, from some UFO experts, which is very interesting because we've identified nine different kinds of parasites. It is actually oh which wow, which are generally not associated with. You know, uh, alien craft and things. We associate it more with our end of the paranormal as quote-unquote hauntings and all this. Brutal. So there are parallels there. Uh, there could be many more. I don't know. But uh, one thing you might notice, there are all sorts of different kinds of craft. Uh, our good friend Ted Phillips from Missouri, who has been on the show not recently, but is, is currently uh, investigating Marley Woods in Missouri. And that's an area, uh, what, what we would call a, pra- a flap area. And the craft he has noticed have, and, and he, uh, he has thousands of cases of physical evidence of UFO landings. And in the 40s and 50s, it started out as nuts and bolts craft landing on legs. There would be pad marks on the ground and this sort of thing. But that seems to be far less common, as, as Ted will explain, uh, than now uh, these balls of light. Or triangles. Or triangles. Physical craft triangles and the balls of light, uh, particularly which he believes are probes. But what do you see in in the paranormal uh, world in which we work, pretty much, which are the the so-called ghosts? You see balls of light. You see them in photographs, and everybody and and the alleged experts will get up and give presentations. Aha! Ghost lights or go, these are spirit lights or whatever, <laughs> or lights. spirit orbs or all whatever stuff you want to say, and that uh, maybe they are. But these the parallels between what's going on in the UFO community and what's going on in the ghost quote community are are, are quite striking to me. Yeah, yeah. Now, and so I can see exactly why Kathy is perplexed. Oh yeah, no, right I mean I'm perplexed. I, I'm wondering what the motives would even be for the taunting. Well, I I, I don't want to sound like a self satisfied idiot, but I'm not perplexed at all. You know, <laughs> I, I it just I think that we've got changing agendas here i think that um something is happening and this all goes back to our whole thing in 2011 when we were on coast to coast and shocked the universe apparently because all the emails we got <laughs> uh that we are dealing with a change in the nature of the membranes between the worlds they seem to be thinning 
there are more parallel, I should say, more paranormal experiences than ever going on. You know, maybe that's only because of the internet. Everybody knows everything, and there's more of, of an information flow than there used to be in the 70s. But uh, I don't think so. I think there I'd is more no. going on. Yeah. There is more parasite activity, and uh, the trend that I've seen or we've seen in the overall paranormal picture is that sometimes these parasitical entities, which folklore knows as demons and puts theological interpretations and baggage on them, and for good reason, because they fit the bill, uh, these uh, life forms seem to feed upon, and this is pretty wild, but this seems to be as real as it gets, they feed upon the negative energy produced by societies, tribes, communities, and us, and that's how they eat. They seem to be uh, having greater access. There seem to be a lot of very negative things going on, and uh, they occasionally... Uh, from what information I have, uh, have been known to destroy worlds and world families once they have had enough to eat. Very, very weird, very wild, pretty scary. Uh, that could be what's happening. One of the characteristics of these parasites that we've seen, uh, and again, these, this is what is commonly known as demons, although I don't think that's enough. They, they do tend to, uh, push buttons in order to, uh, eat. It's like, I almost think of it as, as the chicken or the rat in the cage and they're trained to push the buttons so the food will come out. Mm. That's exactly what this is. Although they push our buttons and the energy comes out of us and they eat that and sometimes they can get strong enough to become poltergeists or to become uh, the whole possession phenomenon, which I've witnessed on ten different occasions at least. It's one giant Skinner box. Precisely, yeah, yeah, effectively. Funny you should say that because today is B.F. Skinner's birthday, I believe. Really? Yes. Uh, the great behavioral uh, scientist uh, who a lot of people think wasn't so great, but I have a, a good friend who defends him to the death, and uh, I'm beginning to see her points in some cases. So in any case, uh, I think this is uh, we may be dealing with some real changes here, and uh, we have overlaps now not only among possible parallel worlds, but among areas of the paranormal. And this is what we talk about when we go to these conferences. So, Kathy, thank you. And we look forward to that show. April 17th, uh, Kathy will be on. We're going to talk about that very subject. It's going to okay. be a great time. I think it will be very good. All right. Do we have a short email? Do we have a short Anything email? short, because we yeah, we're, we're, we're almost out of time here. Yeah. Um, we have, ooh, that's a little long. We have. Uh, <laughs> it's like three uh, pages long. <laughs> uh, okay, here's, oh, this is good. Uh, we can end on a divine note, I suppose. This is from our good friend Bill Hall in response to something I put on my Facebook page in reference to uh, atheists making the mistake of of mixing up God with religion. In other words, they don't like certain religions, so they, they blame God for it. So uh, what did... Uh, Okay, so, so Bill writes to us, I don't understand this. I don't know any atheist that can't separate any of the gods from religions, and physics and religion are unrelated. You'll have to explain it to me. Okay, well, let's try to do that in five minutes or less. Uh, Bill, um, of course, our dear friend, he's the author of two books in which we are featured. Uh, one is The World's Most Haunted House, Bridgeport poltergeist case of 1974 and uh the haunted house diaries a beginning of the story about the litchfield connecticut paranormal flap which we talk about a lot so bill is a good friend he's been on the show many times uh actually i think uh, you must know different atheists bill uh, most of the ones i know well i asked them first of all what god don't you believe in 
I think one has to take an intelligent approach to what you don't believe in as well as a reasonable approach to what you do believe in. Mm-hmm. And it's usually, uh, I get the response that uh, Dorothy and her friends got outside the Emerald City from the guard, not nobody, not know how. All right. So, and I said, okay. Uh, first of all, then, how do you explain uh, Kepler's laws of motion and Newton's laws of uh, of uh, co- the conservation of energy? Uh, you can't explain it without some sort of first cause. And you can get into all sorts of human logistical stuff about this. Uh, but then again, there may not and there might not have been a first cause. And now, now the uh, the quantum physics has called a number of things into question. But then again, it's brought a number of things to light. And phys- physicists are now talking about God. It's not the God you hear about on Sundays or whatever day you go to church, Saturdays, Fridays, whatever. If you go to church. If you go to church, mosque, synagogue, whatever. Uh, but the point is, you know, the human concepts of God are very much like the human concepts of the paranormal. We put level, uh, labels on them that we can understand from our viewpoint, and they only approximate uh, the, the, what may be a reality. They may not even approach an approximation. Um, there was, um, I, I, it's almost like St. Paul describing love by what it is not. In theology, that's known as the apophatic approach. You describe something by what it is not. And uh, I suppose you cannot reduce God to a concept that is present in the human brain, necessarily. At the same time, you can make theological arguments that uh, we are sharing in the life of God. We are all part, the, the universe, the multiverse, it's all part of the, this incredible, elegant creation. And just because it's not made for our personal convenience doesn't mean that God is bad or there, there isn't any God. I find uh, atheists, um, at least the ones I've known, very, very good people often, but fatalistic, without hope, um, Although at times that, that can make them very honest people as well sometimes. Uh, but I think death is the ultimate teller of the tale. I have stood at the deathbeds of four atheists over my course as, as a seminary student and psychology student working in hospitals. Every one of them was terrified because this was it. And every single one of them asked me about God. Somehow, you know, there's an old saying in the military that there are, there are no atheists in foxholes. You know, when you're under fire, when you face death, you know, all the arrogance of human um, introversion, self-centeredness disappears. And I think that th- this is what happened there. And I said to all of those four atheists, I said, look, just say thank you, and you will never have to be afraid again. And I think they died in peace. Not because of anything I said, but, ju- but just... You know, let it go. You know, and, and uh, I don't believe in oblivion because it's impossible in the multiverse. I think atheists, just as a last point, are um, the last holdouts of a discredited and rapidly dying materialism in science, that everything is material, and it's not. We know that better than anybody. So I think that's plenty uh, for, for that right now. Bill, uh, you may be totally confused, but I don't think so. You're a smart guy. Anyway, you're a smart kid. You can figure it out. So uh, I'll do this this one. On April 8th and 9th, less than three weeks from now, we'll once again speak at the annual New England Parafest at the Ashworth by the Sea in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. We are the final speakers of the event, and uh, we will talk, I think, a lot about parasites, but also our, our views of what's really behind the paranormal. 
then on July 23rd, we'll be at the Connecticut Gathering of the Paranormal. That's what they call it now, I guess, in Windsor Locks, Connecticut. We will present on Saturday and on Sunday. We uh, plan to host the weekly edition of this show with a panel of all the speakers before a live audience. This event will benefit the, Gre- the Queen of Hearts Thoroughbred Retirement Farm in Maine. I mean, at least we're going to help something. Yeah, help the horses. Indeed. Uh, in the fall, we'll be speaking at a MUFON event in Philadelphia at the Exeter UFO Festival, September 3rd and 4th in Exeter as well. That's Exeter, New Hampshire. And the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts in October. Meanwhile, find out more about the show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, one of the top websites in the world for visits and use. Also, at our website, you can find over 650 free podcasts or recorded shows, I should, I should say, on oh, on our shows from uh, ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. I should add that at these fall events, uh, they, they will be running Saturdays and Sundays, and we will, we're will we working now on uh, doing a show on Sunday, uh, September 4th, uh, from the Exeter UFO Festival, which will include fantastic guests like Stanton Friedman and everything else. Uh, the committee that's planning it likes the idea. We'll see where it goes. But uh, live panel with uh, some really, really great guests, and uh, I think that, that's a fantastic uh, use of our Sunday time. We, we weren't able to do that on Monday evenings. You know? No, we were not. Yeah, okay. Anyway, this fall you can start looking for our forthcoming book, originally titled Cosmic Journey, now, behind the paranormal, everything you know is wrong. Uh, they they loved the uh, motto of the show, and they put it together, uh, Schiffer Publishing put it together for the title of our book. Uh, we'll let you know the release date and when we have it, uh, and there will be a release event of some kind. I'm not sure where or when, uh, but we'll let you know about that, too. You can find my other books. This will be the first book with Ben's byline. I have a bunch of others I wrote myself, Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, uh, Barnes & Noble Nook, and if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those recorded shows free that are on our website. Also, direct links to several charities that Ben and I have adopted, including USACares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, and HelpForHaiti.com. Okay, we're just about down to the wire here. Next Sunday, Ben, what's going on? Uh, next Sunday, March 27th, will be Easter Sunday on the Western calendar, so we will have a rebroadcast of uh, one of our great interviews with Richard Dolan from uh, November 2nd, UFOs and National Security State. That or, the state or the State of National Security. Wow, that was pretty no, bad. No, the, the National right there. Security State. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, oh, there right. we go. So it wasn't dyslexia. I got it right. <laughs> we leave you this afternoon with a thought from none other than Greek philosopher Socrates. Beware the barrenness of a busy life. I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.